You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Amen. We have Pastor Bob up here with us today. Everybody say hi, Pastor Bob. <laughs> hi, Pastor Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a, if you were here uh, recently, Ryan made an announcement that, that Bob is, has officially joined our teaching team at North Valley. So can we celebrate that? <laughs> That's so great. I know I always love personally when he comes to, to bring the message, and that's what he's going to do for us today. So we're so excited to have him and his wife, Janet, here with us today. So I'm just going to turn it over to him. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Hey, it is so exciting to be here. I, you know, I like to say this uh, most of the time. You could not have picked a better Sunday to be here. You know, really, this is just great. You know, I'm, I'm surprised we're meeting here. We had to meet outside. It is just marvelous. Janet and I, uh, less, well, no, less than two weeks ago, but just uh, about 10 days ago, we were in Denver, Colorado, 14 degrees, a cyclone snow bomb hit and all that kind of thing. So we are so glad that we are here. Also, because I love embarrassing people, one of my best friends here, Tim Mackey, is here with his wife, Marie, and uh, they're just here visiting here today. Would you just thank them? Give them a North Valley welcome and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if you guys would show up, so I wanted to bring some ringers and, and stuff, just in, just in case. But hey, we're here in a series here that is just an amazing series, Serving Like Jesus. In fact, if you could titrate, you know, what the Christian life is all about, you could titrate it and bring it right down on a filter to three words. The Christian life is serving like Jesus. And two weeks ago, we started the, the series and, and uh, what a great passage of, of scriptures. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many powerful, powerful thing. And then last week, you know, talking about living our life and, and, and serving in such a way that people look into your life and they somehow see Jesus in how you serve other people. Well, today is one of my favorite topics, bar none, and it is dealing with bringing people to Jesus. You know, bringing your friends to Jesus Christ. Uh, it's my passion. It's, it's why I'm in ministry and so on. But let me start by just giving very quickly a couple of sets of questions to you to get you thinking in terms of relationships and uh, things that are important. You ready for this? You, no, just answer and, you know, don't be kind of, oh, me, I got the answer. You know, just in your head if you'll do this. Here's a set of questions. First ones, name five wealthiest people in the world. You know, I know you can come up with one or two and stuff. How about this one? Name the last five Heisman Trophy winners. You sports geeks, you know, you probably know them. How about this one? Name the last five winners of the Miss America contest. Whoa, not there. How about this one? Name 10 people who have won a Nobel or a Pulitzer Prize. You there? How about this one? Name the last half dozen Academy Award winners for best actor or best, best actress. You know one, you maybe know two. How about this one? Name the last 10 World Series winners. You know, if you're normal, if you're like me and normal, 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 maybe you knew one, two, or three of some of those questions, right? But let me give you a new set of questions. How about this one? In your head, list a few teachers who aided you in your journey through school. Every one of us here can come up with one, two, three. How about this? Name three friends who have helped you through a difficult time. Every one of us could do that. Name five people who have taught you something worthwhile. How about this? Think of a few people who have made you feel appreciated and special. 
Think of five people you enjoy spending time with. Name six heroes whose stories have inspired you. You see, the difference between those two sets of questions has nothing to do with celebrity status. It has nothing to do with uh, awards or or, uh, uh, plaques on the wall or anything like that. The difference between those two things is relationship. People that you know, people that have poured into your life make a difference. And if there's something that the whole New Testament just screams, it is simply the fact that relationships matter. In fact, I'll be so bold to say that if you're good at making relationships, you'll be successful, whether you dig ditches or whether you work in an office in a cubicle. But if you're not good at building relationships, you'll probably have a struggle throughout the rest of your life. You see, relationships are really important, starting with our relationship with God and then those horizontal relationships that we have with other people. And you see, Jesus was a master. He was just amazing. He got out among the people. He rubbed shoulders with people. In fact, some of the most uh, difficult people you could imagine, and Jesus was out there with them. In fact, when I read the scriptures, there are times when I just feel like i got to close it. This is too much. I mean, he was hanging with people with leprosy. He was hanging with people with disease. Any germaphobes here? You know, don't raise your hand because you'll identify yourself. But it's true. You know, sometimes, you know, we just, there are certain people we just don't want to hang with. But Jesus was constantly hanging with people. So if I can put this message into something, we're going to look at a passage here that is an amazing passage. I want to simply give you four principles And they're pretty good principles here. They they kind of outline the passage that we're going to get to in Mark. Are you ready? The first one is simply this. People really do want to see the real Jesus. You know, sometimes we think, because we're in church world, that people really don't want to talk about Jesus. They don't want to see the real Jesus. The reason people don't want to see the real Jesus or talk about it is because all they got these phony Jesuses in their head. You know, Jesus is always out for a buck, or Jesus is boring, or, or, or Jesus doesn't know what's going on in the world today. I mean, that happened 2,000 years ago. But the reality that the Bible teaches about who Jesus is, is contemporary. It is relevant. It is engaging. It is magnetic. And part of our task is to let people know about the real Jesus, who he is and what he does and, and, and so on, which brings us to, I believe, one of the most poignant passages of Scripture. It's found in Mark chapter 2. It's also a parallel account. is found in Luke chapter 5. And if you grew up in the church and grew up in church world, you may be familiar with this. For some, this may be new information. But let's walk through these 12 verses. I'll simply read them here. You can follow on your device or you can look up the screen. And uh, let's take a look at it. And when he returned, talking about Jesus, to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let him let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. He rose and immediately picked up his bed, went out before them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never saw anything like this. You want a picture of the real deal, the real Jesus. You don't have to go a whole lot further than just look at Mark chapter 2. It, it, it's, it's incredible. But there are a whole lot of layers to this passage. In the first two verses, we find out that Jesus had just arrived in a city called Capernaum. And if you look at the, the Sea of Galilee there in the Middle East, right at the very tip top of the sea is the, is the city Capernaum. It had about 1,500 residents. And this became, for the next three years, kind of the official headquarters of Jesus. Because he grew up in a town that was over here called Nazareth. And he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. So you find throughout the next few chapters in the book of Mark and all through the Gospels, he's constantly going back to Capernaum. That's his headquarters and so on. And it says, if you look at the original language that the Bible was written in, where it says that Jesus was at home, that's not actually what it says in the original language. It says he went to the house. Now, you may think that's just kind of a little little deal. It's kind of a cool little factoid. What it really says is the word the is a demonstrative word that points to something. The house could better be rendered that house. And to find out what that house is, you go back to the previous chapter. And in the previous chapter, Jesus healed somebody, and then he went into the house of Simon Peter. Oh! So he's actually in Simon Peter's home, okay? And you guys know Simon Peter, right? I mean, he's the guy, he was the rough and tumble of all the disciples. He was the guy who, you know, pulled out a sword and cut off somebody's ear. So I want you to imagine, because we read this story, Simon Peter's in his house, Jesus is teaching, and in a moment, some people open up, dig a hole in his roof, and it's coming down. I'm telling you, Peter would be on the phone you know, uh, turn these people over to the police. This is the kind of guy that Peter is. I could just see him steaming as the, uh, as, the, as the roof starts coming in on everybody. Hey, that's my house. So this is what, a little bit of what's going on here. And, and there's a crowd because he just healed somebody in the previous chapter. So the crowd is coming. He's got a little bit of celebrity status happening. In fact, I would guarantee you, if next week Larry Fitzgerald was going to be right here in North Valley, you could not contain all the people here because you'd like to get a selfie with him. That's the reason that we've got this celebrity status happening, okay? Hey, I heard Jesus healed somebody. Hey, I hear this is what's going on. So Jesus is here, Simon Peter's house, and the text, verse 2, says he was preaching the word to them. Hey, this wasn't a healing service, even though somebody gets healed pretty soon. 
This wasn't some miracle kind of service happening, even though a miracle happens and pretty soon. He was simply preaching the word to the people. And I think that's something really powerful about this church. You come here not because of all the excitement and stuff, even though I hope every time you're here, you get thrilled, you get excited, you get engaged. I hope that happens every time. But that's not why you're here. You're here because North Valley is committed to teaching and preaching the Word of God so that you might leave here filled up with something more than just fluff. And these people had gathered together in Simon Peter's home to listen to Jesus preaching the Word. This is good stuff, guys. And it's really cool. So, so they're obviously in, in, interested and so on. And they in this house. Now, some of you have got beautiful homes. you got great homes. In, in fact, you have a living room or you have a great room or something. And let's say we're all coming over to your house right afterward. And maybe you could have 50 people in your home and it wouldn't be crazy because you got a big home and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Maybe you live in an apartment. I don't know. <laughs> you know, but, but, you know you, you've got a big house and so on. And we think in those terms for the house where they've all gathered. Do you know how big these houses were? They were teeny tiny, single story kind of thing. Jen and I have been to India a bunch of times and stuff. I, you know, I wanted to see a picture of a typical house in Calcutta. It's basically two rooms, okay? Uh, there was a room where everybody slept, and then there was a smaller room where maybe you could cook a few things. That was it, and that was typical in that area, and that's typical, by the way, in, in the time of Jesus and what the homes looked like in Capernaum. And because there was such little room inside, you could get maybe you know, 20 people inside or 15 people, but what happened is people would gather on the outside. And that next picture will show, you know, this is, this is where people lived because it's hot and they want to hang outside and stuff. And so this is very, very typical of what this was like in Capernaum. You had a few people inside, crammed in there, no ventilation, and yet a whole lot of people that were hanging out outside trying to get an earful of what Jesus was saying. So that gives you a little bit of a pic picture of, of, of what's going on there and stuff. And, it, and it's worth noting that, that Jesus was doing this ministry in a confined area, and people just love being there. Let me give you a second point. Second point is this. Caring for people often happens at inconvenient times. You know, I would just love it. You know, seriously, I would just love it if, if all the things that I could do for people was just at my convenience. Uh, okay, I am an awful fisherman. In fact, next Friday, my son and I are going to go fishing. It's great. And, I, you know, I've, he already knows. I mean, up front, I am bad. And the reason I'm bad is this is my idea of fishing. You know, you roll out of bed around 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning, and, and you go to Subway, and you get a couple of footlongs, and you bring your boom box with you, and, and, and maybe you bring a fishing pole and maybe some tackle, and then you, you show up at a place that's got a nice shady tree, a place where I can just kind of kick back, and I throw my line into the water, and hopefully some well-meaning fish takes my line, and I catch a fish. And do you know how often that happens? Okay, occasionally, yeah, way not very much occasionally. But my son, Jeremy, he's in Papua New Guinea. He's a, he's a missionary there. Is he ever a fisherman? 
He gets up at the crack of dawn and he goes, you know, and, and goes to the stream while it's still dark and he gets all the stuff that's in the stream and he finds out what kind of things are hatching. You know, crazy stuff. And, and he walks back, not to where it's shady, but, but very stealthily. And, and, and there, you know, he begins fishing, not, not anybody seeing him, no fish seeing him or anything. And you wonder how good he is? He's amazing. When nobody else catches anything, he catches something. Why? Because fishing is best done at inconvenience on our part. Always. It's never the convenient things. And you know that in terms of life, don't you? It is never convenient for a friend to call you up and say, Hey, I got a flat tire. And I'm all the way halfway to Yuma. Can you come and get me? And it's one o'clock in the morning. That is never convenient, but I guarantee you something. Come here. I guarantee you that by you doing that, we'll bond you to this friend. He'll never forget it. In fact, every other irritating thing that's going to happen, he'll call you first because you can't. No, 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 no not really. But, but you know what I mean. It never happens at times of convenience. And so here the people come in verse 3. They bring this paralyzed man carried by four of them. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him. Some translations say they dug a hole threw it and let him down on the mat, on the pallet in which the paralytic lay. Now, just give you an idea of how these homes were made. They were very much made like they are on the Indian reservation here in Arizona. Okay, So you had a house that was built out of what you and I would call adobe. The walls were about 18 inches thick, so the walls were very, very thick because they needed that to support whatever roof they were going to put on. On the top, they would have beams that they would lay across for the roof. And between the beams, they would have branches and, and smaller kinds of pieces of wood in a lattice work. And they'd keep it very, very tight. And then they would begin to mix the adobe. And they begin to layer this mud and straw kind of thing to, to form the roof. And then they put more wood and more mud and more roof and more mud until when they were all done, they had almost, this is what most people say, two feet, two feet of roof. And the reason it was so thick and the reason it was fortified with beams is because, like I said, most people live life outside of their house. And there was usually an outside stairway and they'd go up to the top of the roof and that's where they would holiday. That's where they would spend time. That's where they would talk. That's where they would enjoy life on the top of their roof. And all this was was adobe. In fact, during rainy season, even to this day in some places in the Middle East, there's grass that grows on the top of the roofs because it's adobe. It's mud. So we have this kind of situation here, and they start digging a hole in the roof. Can you imagine that you're there? And by the way, if you want the Word of God to come alive for you, then put yourself there. Every time you read it, say, huh, I wonder what that would be like if I was in that room, and there's no ventilation, and all of a sudden, dirt starts coming down. Not on other people on you. And what if you were the one who owned the house? That's my house. 
that's my house. And the hole, to drop a human being through it, is not a six-inch diameter hole, unless he's a very small human. It's big. So they're tearing apart beams and all the rest in order to bring a guy on a mat, on a pallet, and to lower him down. So here's a thought for you and I. What are you willing to do to bring somebody into the presence of Jesus? These four friends were willing to do the absurd in order to bring their friend to Jesus. I believe that when you have a friend that maybe has some physical needs, like this guy did, and you help him, it'll always take you longer. Maybe these four guys wanted to get to the house early so they'd have a seat. Oh, but we got to take care of Harvey. It's, I don't know if his name is Harvey. I made that up. We're going to take care of Harvey. Never mind. You know, we're going to take care of Harvey. And so by the time they've got Harvey close to the house, they can't get in. Now, I'm the kind of guy that said, okay, I guess it's God's will that he doesn't get there. So let's go and play cards instead. No, you're laughing because that's all of us, isn't it? That's all of us. But they weren't deterred. I love this. They take, the four of them take this guy up a staircase and start digging a hole. And they know that there are consequences for their actions. But they're willing to face consequences for the sake of bringing their friend to Jesus. We can go home now. Because for some of us in this room, that's enough. Because for some of us, you're encouraged. You say, you know, I've really leaned into that in the past. And God's just really blessed. But for some of us, it's just a reminder saying, you know, I haven't thought about it that way. I haven't thought about my friends in that way. I haven't thought about it because I haven't been challenged. And today, I'm not challenging. I think God's word is. Loving people and caring for people ordinarily happens at the most inconvenient times. But they wanted to do for him what nobody else could do, only Jesus and by the way, this is another little factoid. Did you know to be part of the Jewish community back at the time of Jesus, if you had a disease or you were crippled or you had leprosy, you were not given full status in the Jewish community because there was a thought that maybe, just maybe, there's sin in your life and that's the reason you're sick. And so they were never given full status into the Jewish community. And I thought it's kind of interesting when you think that Jesus spent most of his time with the very people that most people were considered outsiders. And here's the deal for all of us in this room. The longer we're in church, the less significant friendships we have a tendency toward the outsiders. Because our deepest friends, rightly so, should be those within the body of Christ. That's great. But when we forget 
that Jesus hung out with both insiders and outsiders. It's a challenge for us to remember, okay, I'm going to lean into this in a fresh way, in a new way. Like that, uh, that point is this third point, that interruptions are often God's opportunities. You know, Jesus handled interruptions just incredibly. I get mad when I get interrupted. Uh, I get mad when my agenda is dis, uh, disrupted. Uh, Jesus looked at it, I believe, as an opportunity. So here he is. They're coming down through this, you know, this uh, hole that they dug in the roof. And Jesus sees the four friends. The text tells us, <laughs> and it says, this is actually literally what it says, and seeing their faith, whose faith? Whose faith? Their faith, the friend's faith. Seeing their faith, he says to the dude, dude, your sins are forgiven. Don't ever think that your actions on behalf of another person to bring them into the presence of Jesus does not matter. It matters gobs. So seeing their faith, he said to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, this is beautiful. This is, this is why we are given that responsibility to do everything we can that's going to bring somebody into the presence of Jesus. I love it. Now, there were some scribes there. Scribes, very religious people, knew the law really well. And they're thinking in their head, wait a minute. Only God can forgive sin. So they're getting mad. And you know what? They're right. These guys were right. They knew the law. They were absolutely correct. But Jesus was letting them know that he is God and that he has the authority on earth to forgive sins. You see, there's so many layers that are going on here. You've got the faith of these four that are just loving on this guy. You've got Jesus who's, who's teaching not only you know, uh, insiders, but outsiders, and they're both listening and all those kind of things. So you've got this great audience. And then he turns to those religious folks, and he asks the question, hey, 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 which is easier? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or take up your pallet and walk? Now here's the thing that kind of messes with us sometimes. From our perspective, you know what the easy thing is? The easy thing is, hey, your sins are forgiven. That's easy. I can say anything. Hey, your sins are forgiven. And there's no way for you to tell whether or not it happened or not. I'm just saying it. That's easy. Anybody can do that. But then he says this so smart. He says, in order that you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin, he then turns to the paralytic. And he says, take up your pallet and walk. In other words, he did in the mind of everybody there the impossible in order to prove who he is. Genius! Jesus is a genius! I, I, I look at that and say, 
How did you come up with this, Jesus? Because it's so beautiful. You cannot see sins forgiven, but they could see somebody who was healed. And that's where the rub is. If Jesus just healed the dude, all the religious people wouldn't have cared a bit. Way to go, Jesus. But he made a deal out of it. He said, it's bigger than this healing. I want you to know something about who I am. That's why he did this. Well, the last point here for you anal retentive people is simply this. Number four, changed, changed lives are so powerful that people are left amazed. When somebody's life is changed, everybody is amazed. I'll close with a story. Those of you who are getting to know me now, because I get a chance to be here every five or six weeks, um, know that I'm a movie guy. I love movies. All I can say is two words for you, Captain Marvel, but that's another <laughs> story. One of my favorite movies uh, is an R-rated movie called uh, Schindler's List years ago. It was one of the few R-rated movies I've ever recommended. Rated R for reality. It's a story about Oskar Schindler. Oskar Schindler was a German industrialist, um, womanizer, terrible morals and values. He was a Nazi, part of the Nazi party. And he was rich. And the way he got rich is he amassed all sorts of things. He bribed people. He did whatever was necessary in order for him to make a buck. And he did. He had factories all over Eastern Europe and part of Western Europe and Poland and so on, Czechoslovakia. He didn't really care so much about what was going on in Germany. He wasn't even really involved in that. The only reason he was a Nazi was because it gave him good uh, opportunity to make more money. He had uh, an enamelware uh, factory that was uh, converted into a munitions factory. But something happened to Oskar Schindler. In the midst of the war, the Jews were so persecuted that during the Holocaust, he began to witness what Nazi Germany was doing to these Jews. They were being hauled off to death camps. And it changed him. It changed him down to his core. This guy whose value was money, his value was treasure, his entire life changed. And then he began to figure out how in the world can I do something to make a difference? And so he began to personally purchase Jewish people that were on their way to Auschwitz and other death camps. And he would buy them with gold and money and so on to work in his factory. And he didn't just buy very stout people who knew how to run a factory. He bought back families, grandfathers, grandmothers, people with, that were, were lame and, and, and couldn't even work, uh, children, whole families to work in this factory. And over the course of the next year and a half, he bought back 1,200 Jews from the death camps and saved their life by working in his factory. After that year and a half, he spent every dime that he had 
the very end of the war, because he was part of the Nazi party, he knew what was going to happen. The Allied forces were coming. He had to flee. And so as he was going to his car at midnight, walking down a corridor, faced with Jewish people from his factory, he got close to his car, and there he was stopped. The Jewish people that he had saved presented him with a letter signed by 1,200 Jews trying to explain the fact that Oscar Schindler made a difference in their lives. And then they pulled out a ring that was made from gold-plated teeth from somebody who was working in the factory, and they fashioned it into a gold ring. And they inscribed on the inside of it something from the Talmud. It said, save a life. Save a life, and you save a nation entire. He's so overcome with emotion, he, he, he's trying to put the ring on, and, and, and it falls in the dirt, and he, he falls down, and he, he's trying desperately to put it on his, ring, on, on his finger, and, and he does, and he's overcome with emotion, and he's crying. And then he looks up, and he sees his car, and he says, that car. I could have sold that. Why did I keep that car? That's 10 people right there. And then he rips off a lapel pin that was made of gold. And he says, why did I keep this pin? This pin is made out of gold. That's at least two people, maybe one person. And then he falls in a pile on the ground saying these words, I could have saved one the Jewish people came around him and loved on him and hugged him and cared for him. It's a true story. And I can't help but think that's exactly where you and I ought to be living. When it's all said and done, it'll be you and I that'll be saying, I could have done so much more. For you, it may just be a kind word to a friend. Hey, come along with me to North Valley. It may be, hey, come to a movie. Come, do this, do that. It may be something that will so deeply impact your circle of friends that one day we'll go to heaven and they'll be there. And they'll say, man, thank you. Thank you. What are you willing to do to bring somebody into the presence of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the passage. It's powerful. We just stand in awe when we consider all the different things that uh, you uh, did, all the different layers in these 12 verses. You've given us just a little glimpse of four friends who cared so much about their bud that they risked everything and consequences to bring him close to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that we follow in those footsteps and we do everything we can to bring our friends into the presence of Jesus. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.